The Soccer Gambling Podcast on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network is brought to you by Bet365. Bet365 is offering new users a $1,000 risk-free bet. Sign up today at sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash bet365. That's sportsgamblingpodcast.com slash bet365. We're also brought to you by Hall of Fame Bets, the sports betting research platform for parlays, player props and game lines. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com. Use code SGPN to get 50% off your first month and start making smarter bets today. Breaking news for Manchester United, the revolution is starting because the CEO of the club, Richard Arnold, is set to leave Manchester United by the end of the year. So in the next weeks, the decision has been made and this will be part of the revolution decided by Ineos Group with Sir Jim Ratcliffe set to complete very soon the 25% minority stake acquisition at Manchester United, but also including the sporting control of the club. And so Richard Arnold will leave, there will be an interim CEO, but then they will bring in new people in the management, in the board, a new CEO probably with Jean-Claude Blanc, who was at Juventus and PSG in the past, now strong candidate for May United, but also probably a new sporting director as part of this revolution. You are listening to BetMUFC here on the Soccer Gambling Podcast. You can follow BetMUFC on X at BetMUFC. That's at BetMUFC. You can follow Soccer Gambling Podcast at SGP Soccer. That's at SGP Soccer. We're on the Sports Gambling Podcast Network. You can follow on X at the SGP Network. That's at the SGP Network. You can also follow them at Gambling Podcast. That's at Gambling Podcast. And finally, you can also follow my other X account. And this one's important because this is where I post my monthly P&L because I'm actually a tracked and transparent sports better with a record of 125 months in a row of transparent and track profit, which means I've been undefeated every single month for over a decade. I've had losing days, yes, 100%. I've had losing weeks, but over the course of a 30-day period or whatever the month may be, I have never, ever had a losing month. That X account is at X. That's at X. I post the P&L profit and loss sheet every single month for the previous month, and then that becomes the pinned tweet. So at the moment, you can view the month of October. If you scroll down, you can find the other spreadsheets, but it's much easier to go to the website lockbetting.com. That's lockbetting.com. That's also where you can sign up for the additional plays once you have done that due diligence of looking through the spreadsheets. And I encourage you to do that research because when you look through my spreadsheets, not only do you see that they add up to a profit, you'll see an impeccably managed bankroll. No um, losses are chased with bigger plays. There's no five unit plays on there. There's no 10 unit plays on there. There's nothing that constitutes a max play. There's no whale plays. There's no play of the year bullshit. Just sensible plays that make this hobby a more fun and profitable one. And that's what it is. This is a hobby. This shouldn't be a way to get you out of a hole. Never make a bet that you need to win. Only bet if you can afford to lose. But if you can get involved in sports betting, if you do have that disposable income, I can turn this into a fun and profitable hobby like I've done for 125 months in a row. Just head over to lockbetting.com or if you want more information, shoot me a DM at that X account. My DMs are open. Once again, that's at lockbettingx. That's at lockbettingx. 
Let's talk about Manchester United. The takeover or the investment, the minority investment. Where are we with it? Are we nearing the end of the saga, David? You and me have talked about this so much. Listen, we are now almost there. The Glazer family who own Manchester United and Ineos, Sir Jim Radcliffe, uh, they are in the process of finalising their agreement uh, for a 25% stake to go to Ineos uh, for about £1.4 billion. Now, there was some suggestion it was going to be announced on Friday of last week. Uh, I, I think it was then looked towards Monday, but that's now Sir Bobby Charlton's funeral, so it won't happen then. But next week, there's a very real possibility that Manchester United... The Glazers could announce this to the New York Stock Exchange. It would be a huge moment. You just say 25% minority, but the key here is that it would come with sporting control, the big subject that people are talking about with Manchester United, transfers, recruitment, contracts, the football, which has taken a dive. They would leave the Glazers to the commercial side of operations. There would be a three-person panel consisting of Sir Jim Radcliffe, Sir Dave Brailsford, who is absolutely key to Ineos' sporting portfolio, and Joel Glazer as well on behalf of the existing ownership who would retain 75%. They may look to bring in a new sporting director, names like Paul Mitchell, and today in the British press, Dougie Freeman had been reported. Um, let's see on that. It might take some time. Um, also, the manager, I'm sure they'll be assessing that position, but again, some time, maybe a change of chief executive with suggestions Richard Arnold would leave, and maybe Jean-Claude Blanc, who is part of the Ineos group, would come in. This is a situation that seems to suit all parties. If the Glazers have somebody take control and succeed in sporting control for 25%, then their whole product benefits, their investment increases. Uh, if it doesn't work, then they can turn around and say, well, it was their fault. Ineos is responsible for that. And don't forget, Ineos are paying a premium for 25% of the club. I think Ineos, Sir Jim Radcliffe, who grew up as a Manchester United fan, will see this as a great opportunity to get their foot in the door at Manchester United and build towards the future. And that future, I think, in their eyes, will be a complete takeover of Manchester United. So this is the first step on that process. And it looks like we should hear something official finally next week. So Richard Arnold is gone, but we haven't heard any anything official yet at this point in regards to this takeover but it is going to happen it's not one of these things where the Glazers are going to change their mind or it's going to be drawn out for another few weeks or even months like a lot of things involving the Glazers this is going to happen because it's 100% beneficial to the Glazers as was just outlined in that little um, segment that we just heard. But to reiterate the main point that was made there, the Glazers have absorbed themselves of footballing control. That is the main thing that they are criticised for by supporters. And not only have they absorbed themselves of that responsibility whilst benefiting from the commercial side of the club, they've managed to sell it to somebody else They've managed to only concede 25% of the club and have made more on that 25% than their initial upfront investment in the club. So they've essentially sold 25% of the club for more than they bought the club for entirely. And 
they have absorbed themselves of all criticism when it comes to the uh, on-field activity, which is what the supporters are most frustrated about. So Jim Ratcliffe is going to be 100% responsible for what we do on the pitch, whether it be the manager, whether it be transfers, whoever we get in as the director of football, whether we have a director of football, that's all going to be decided by Sir Jim Ratcliffe and his 25%. So he takes 25% but is largely going to be the person who puts himself under the microscope and under the fire of the supporters. And the Glazers, they can just concentrate on the commercial side whilst maintaining 75% control of the club and taking in the money that the club make and benefiting as well from the increased value. Now, this is supposed to lead to a sale eventually, whether it be to Ratcliffe or whether it be to another party. But the fact is, is that Ratcliffe has paid 25% of what the Qataris were supposed to pay. The money that he's paid up was 25% of the Qatari deal. So instead of taking a 100% sale, they have taken a quarter of the sale, absorbed themselves of all responsibility. Now, all responsibility for transfers and whatnot, which is what the supporters really care about because nobody cares about the commercial side. We're all sick and tired of the stupid emails that we get constantly flooding us with buy this buy that and it's fucking shameless it is shameless whatever result we've had straight after losing the Manchester derby where the Bobby Charlton has dropped just dropped dead and his body's still fucking cold um, we're still going to get emails asking us to buy stuff it's constant it's relentless this is the Glazers they are just a marketing machine and they've turned us into a marketing club whilst the on-field has suffered and suffered and suffered now I don't know where something like Old Trafford, the structure of Old Trafford, falls on the football in operations. I imagine that it counts because the training gown Carrington is certainly going to count. That's going to be something that Ratcliffe's going to address. And that will probably be addressed under the guise of whoever he appoints as director of football. But as I said, all of these positions, director of football, uh, transfers, the manager, all of the on-field stuff, anything related to the actual football will be run by Ratcliffe and Ineos, despite the fact they only have 25%. It's almost a genius deal from the Glazers, but what would you expect from these snakes who have bled the club dry and have taken it in this direction? And the main thing that they are criticised of, they have absorbed themselves of it while still maintaining ownership of the club, getting all their money back for just relinquishing 25% of it. Everything benefits them as per usual, and you just knew that there would be a deal like this happening in the background when they didn't sell to the Qataris for 100%. You knew when they weren't going to take that deal, which was also a magnificent deal for them, that they only wouldn't be taking it if there was something that was more beneficial for them. And this is what it is. It's this deal where Sir Jim Ratcliffe comes in and takes takes the responsibility off their hands for the main thing that they're criticised of. They only need to concede 25% of it. They make a wad load of money at the same time. And all the questions now, despite the fact it's not been officially announced, is about who and what changes do they make? Who comes in as the new director of football? Who is going to be in that position? Who's going to be overseeing Eric Ten Hag? Is Eric Ten Hag going to keep his job? How much of his staff are going to keep their job? 
what is going to be the transfer policy? Is there going to be a load of cash available in January? Or is it going to be a more sensible plan in terms of identifying actual targets that we want to sign and signing them, which is not what Manchester United have done. Even though Ten Hag has been criticised heavily as of late for some of his signings and you have to you have to sort of hold him responsible for signing the likes of Onana. That was his decision to change the way that we that we played from the back for our goalkeeper, even though it sacrificed um, shot stopping, which should be the primary the primary focus of a goalkeeper or the primary reason why you sign a, a goalkeeper in terms of how he actually plays in goal. But we said we've gone for this uh, sweeper keeper with Onana. That that was a uh, ten hard call. Uh, Lissandra Martinez signing him will always be a ten hard call. Anthony spending all that money on him will always be the, the ten hard call. But you know, ten hard didn't spend the money. Ten hard didn't say that Anthony was an eighty million pound player. I asked it. Ten Hag, in fact, wanted Frankie de Jong. And the reason we got stuck paying that much money for Anthony is because we went for him so late in the window because we couldn't spend our Frankie de Jong money. I don't think Anthony was a top, top target for Manchester United in that window. Everybody knew the number one target was uh, Frankie de Jong, a player who we still want and still need. But at the moment, we have Casemiro. And we've taken Casemiro from Real Madrid. And we've taken Varane from Real Madrid. And whilst both have been very good in patches, Casemiro did have a very good first season. Real Madrid don't sell you players who are still at their best. Real Madrid don't sell you players who can still do a job for Real Madrid. And if they can't do a job for Real Madrid, they shouldn't be playing for Manchester United. And that is the issue. It's The issue is the signings that Ten Hag didn't necessarily want and were third or fourth possibly on his list as... Um, as sort of emergency signings, which Varane was signed under another manager, I understand. Um, he came in under Ole Gunnar Solskjaer, which is fine. But I don't think Casemiro was very high on the list for for Ten Hag. It was a case of we can't get we can't get Frankie De Jong, and since then we've had Casemiro, a good first season, probably a B B plus first season. Hasn't been very good this season. Looks like his legs have gone. We're looking like um, he's looking like a player who Real Madrid didn't want and probably what they anticipated. Same can be said with Varane and his injury records. We've signed Amrabat from Fiorentina. There's got to be a reason why Fiorentina allowed Amrabat to go. And this does not look like the same player who played in the World Cup. The Anthony signing hasn't worked. Lissandra Martinez um, came back from the summer injured. He didn't look good. We obviously have an issue getting rid of certain players when you look at the likes of Harry Maguire, Anthony Martial. These are very difficult players to sell. So there are still big, big problems with the club that will need to be sorted out before we can just spend a load of money bringing players in. But when we do bring players in, it needs to be a joint effort. It needs to be um, under joint consideration in terms of who we bring in, do we really want them? And of course, identifying and getting our number one or number two targets. There can't be another Casemiro that comes into the club because he's third or fourth on the list. Um, we needed to realise what that Frankie de Jong situation was and and step away from it. And it was clear. He didn't want to go. He liked Barcelona. He wants to play for Barcelona. He moved there with his girlfriend. His girlfriend liked Barcelona. He wasn't coming. He was never, ever coming. That's been made clear now from the information that's that's come out. We can't put ourselves in an embarrassing situation where we're chasing and chasing and chasing. We're like the girl, uh, sorry, we're like the boy who texts the girl seven or eight times in a row and doesn't get a reply. She doesn't want to fuck you. Just move on. That that was us. That was us with Frankie de Jong. And it was embarrassing, to be honest. Um, before we move on to talking about how Man United have started the season, how it may go moving forward, 
let me take this quick pause to tell you guys about Bet365. We're brought to you by Bet365, and Bet365 is the world's favourite sportsbook, trusted by over 88 million players worldwide. Props, sides, totals, live betting, Bet365 has you covered. And if you like boosts, you're going to love Bet365, like a 30% profit boost on your NFL same-game parlay. Plus, they even have an early payout offer if your team goes 17 points up. They also have an early payout so, uh, payout offer specifically for soccer if your team goes two goals up, which has been very, very profitable if you can get it as of late. Uh, one example was the lock on Scamessa Italia a couple of weeks ago where um, AC Milan won away to Lecce if you were bet 365 because they're 2-0 up at time, but they did not win overall lost the game 3-2 and that would have been a losing bet at all other books. So sign up today and choose from two bonus offers, either a $1,000 no-sweat bet or bet $5 and get $150 in bonus bets. Just head over to sportsgamblingpockets.com slash bet365. That's sportsgamblingpockets.com slash bet365. Or use the sign-up link in our show bio. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. That's 1-800-GAMBLER, G-A-M-B-L-E-R. Eric, how do you assess the season so far? As you say, it's so far. Uh, we are, say, on one-third not even on the one touch. So start of the season um, is in our back. Yeah, it was it was a tough start, as we've seen all. Uh, but um, I think we are catching up. And the last games, uh, from the last five games, we won five, won four. So um, we are in a good mood. And I think we are in the right direction. And so before we go into that condensed program in December, uh, I think... Uh, we're building, and uh, we're building confidence, we're building a strong belief, and we're building also uh, some routines in. And now we hope we can, uh, more or less, we can stay often uh, with the same lineup or with 12 till 14 players uh, who are constructing the lineup because I think that is, so far, that was our difficulty. That we, every time we had to change, and you don't develop routines when you every time has to change. I mean, you look at the form table, and it looks great. It's for, I think, Manchester United right now, the top of the form table. Is that a fair reflection of, of how you're playing, or do you think there's still probably a little bit more to come? Oh, I'm sure there's more to come. Uh, but still, hey, it's a good, uh, good sign. It's a good sign that we are progressing, but also you see that our... Um, competitors, they are also dropping points and there are no easy games in the Premier League and everyone will drop points at a certain point so um, make sure uh, you get consistency in and don't look too much at others but know in the background they will also drop points The last game was your 50th in charge, it was 30 wins and that, that stands you as good as any Manchester United manager in their first 50 games, I mean, that's got to be pretty satisfying Yeah it's a good record, and it tells something that we are in the right direction. Uh, but it, I think over a longer term, it tells uh, that you're winning games. And Is that equally or more important than how well you play? So you, the base is always the way you play. When you don't play well, you will not win games. Uh, when you don't play in certain levels, uh, then you will not win. So in a way of play, you have to match certain rules and principles and to get that uh, typical way of playing and uh, that's why we won so many games uh, and, and 
I think all of the wins in the Premier League have been by one goal. So you can look at that two ways. You can you could want more, but what does it tell you about the the togetherness, if you like, or the, the desire to win from your side that you are winning games even if it is just narrowly? No, it tells a lot about that we have a good spirit and a good mood in the team. That we have a strong belief that we will win games if we if we match the standards of our way of play. And as long as we do that and well, we stick together, we will win games. Uh, but it also tells that yeah, we're creating a lot of chances. And there will be coming a moment uh, that we score more easy. And then we, that we will be more clinical in front of the goal. And then you will more win easy. Is that a frustration for you? Because that's the one thing that's been missing this season. You aren't scoring as many goals as, as you probably want to do. Are you seeing signs that that's something that could change? Yeah, because we're creating a lot of chances and we will come to a point that our players will score more easy, that they, they have the qualities, they have the abilities to be clinical in front of the goal. So there will come a moment that we, we go and win um, matches more easy. Eh? But for every game, eh, except realize not any match is easy. You have to fight for it. And when you score the first one and then and get the second, and then games will open up. And till that point, uh, you have to fight for every yard. It's great for us, probably in the media, when games are won by defenders and we're, you know, unexpected heroes. But how important is it that your strikers start getting goals? I mean, Rasmus Hoyland, so much spotlight on him, scoring goals in the Champions League, not yet in the Premier League. Are we wrong to be, to be judging him too soon? I mean, he's a very young player. Yeah, but when you score in the Champions League, eh, and uh, I think it's the same level. Mm. Maybe Champions League, eh, because mm. it's are the Champions even higher. So if you score in the Champions League five times, eh, you will score also eh, in the Premier League. It's just a matter of time. Eh, as long as we, as a team, creating the chances, and as long as he is convinced and believe, he will start scoring goals. And the same is for Marcus Westford. Eh, he, he has proven it. Uh, across all his career, scored more than 100 goals uh, already in the Premier League. He scored last season 30 goals. So there will come a moment in this season and then it clicks and then we are on fire. But also the other offensive players, uh, our size, uh, they are also able to score. Uh, Carnaccio, Anthony, uh, Pellistri, uh, uh, Fernandez is not really offensive, but offensive midfielder. Uh, Scott McTominay. So we have many players. We have even 13 players across our squad eh, who score goals. But also that tells something about the way eh, we see football. Eh, we attack with 11. Also, we defend with 11. The lack of goals is going to be something that I address in the next episode where we look back at the game against Luton which Manchester United only won 1-0, despite the fact they had enough chances to actually win that game by 5 or 6. They actually played well in that game, but they did not put the ball in the back of the net. So we are going to recap the Luton game and we are going to look ahead to the trip to Everton on the next episode. But my initial take is, is that it is very, very concerning when between Anthony, between Anthony Martial, between Garnacho between Rashford and between Rasmus Hoyland, they've managed to deliver just one single goal between them. 
Just one goal between all of those players, all of those forwards. We've been bailed out multiple times by Scott McTominay. Um, Casemiro has contributed towards the goals, despite the fact he's not had a good season. And then we've had some goals from defenders as well. It isn't good enough on the attacking side of things. And Manchester United do urgently need to address that. Now, there is a sense of inevitability about it, though, as well. Because you do feel if you are creating those chances, some of those players cannot continue to play down, play that way and they will score. And if Hoyland has scored five in the Champions League, he will be able to score in the league. What Ten Hag said is logical and therefore is correct. Before I summarise the first third of the season and close out with my final thoughts, let me take a quick pause here to tell you guys about Underdog Fantasy. Underdog has a way to play alongside your favourite fantasy players all season long. NFL, NBA, NHL, college basketball and college football. Simply pick higher or lower on your favourite players' fantasy stats and cash in. So watch along, make your picks and maybe make a little cash over on Underdog's mobile app or website, underdogfantasy.com. When you sign up with the promo code SGPN... Underdog will double your first deposit of up to $100. That's Underdog Fancy and the promo code SGPN. Let me also utilize this pause to tell you guys about Hall of Fame Bets. Stop betting in the dark and join over 30,000 users researching with Hall of Fame Bets to craft more intelligent, data-driven parlays. Download the Hall of Fame Bets app or visit hofbets.com and use the code SGPN to get 50% off your first month today. Start researching and start winning with Hall of Fame Bets. So my summary for the first third of the season is obviously that it isn't good. It's underwhelming. It's disappointing. It's not what we expected. We wanted to build on what we did last season. And we certainly haven't done that, particularly in front of goal. We've looked very, very poor. Also at the back, we conceded four goals against Copenhagen. I know we're down to 10 men, but it was unacceptable. And we conceded four goals against Bayern Munich. We also allowed Galatasaray to come back from behind and beat us 3-2. The defence has been simply poor. Lissandra Martinez has mostly been injured. Varane doesn't look like the same player anymore. And um, if you're playing with Harry Maguire and Johnny Evans as your centre-backs, you do have significant problems. Also, Andre Anana has shipped some very, very poor goals. So the strikers aren't performing. The defenders aren't defending. Yet, Manchester United are top of the form table. I wouldn't read too much into that because the opponents have been weak and the running hasn't been that difficult. But we are still top of the form table and most significantly, we are sixth in the league. The very worst Manchester United team that we've seen for years playing the worst brand of football you could possibly imagine with strikers who've only scored one goal collectively and defenders who cannot defend are now just sitting behind Arsenal, who are a team who are highly rated by the pundits, who have been touted as huge title contenders. This Manchester United team sits six points behind Arsenal. Now, if you look at VAR doing its actual job and had it done its job correctly in the game at the Emirates, Manchester United would have won that game by two goals to one. We would be on 24 points with eight wins from 12 games. And Arsenal would have two defeats from 12 games. They'd have seven wins, three draws and two losses. And they would be on 24 points and they would be level. 
So Manchester United, playing the way that they've played, only delivering one goal between all of their strikers. It would have been two goals had the Garnacho goal counted. This awful version of Manchester United, where Ten Hag's job has actually been talked about off the back of his incredible record, an incredible season last year. He's already being touted for the sack. We would be level and should be level with this great Arsenal team who are heavily touted by the press and are touted as potential title contenders and a great team. And we would also be just two points behind Tottenham. We are currently five points behind Tottenham. This Tottenham team who have been given a load of praise for the way they've played and Ange Ball and Ange Postacoglu have been heavily praised by supporters and the media. We would be just two points behind this team and we're currently just five points behind this team. And let's not forget Manchester United should have had a penalty against Tottenham as well that would have put us one goal up. Now, I don't want to use VAR as an excuse. This team have been poor. The performances have been shit. The attack have been poor. The defence has been shit. But when you look at the situation and you look at the fact that Manchester United are just seven points away from being top of the Premier League, just six points behind Liverpool and just six points behind Arsenal as well, who we should be level on points with. I think the demise of Man United and specifically the criticism of Ten Hag, who proved himself to be not only a competent manager, but a very good manager last season who decided to shift tactics play with what he had and managed to get us to third in the table and to two cup finals of which we won one of them. So he is a more than competent manager. But at the moment, what some people don't see is that he is trying to once again implement his 3-1-6 system, which is what I think Ten Hag tries to play. I think he tries to play with three at the back. I think he tries to drop in Casemiro as a player who sits in front of the, the back two. I think then he has one other dropping a little bit deeper. And then essentially what you have is an attacking midfielder playing behind the three forwards, two wingers and a centre forward with the fullbacks pushed very high up the pitch. This is so Manchester United can suffocate teams and dominate the ball in the final third and win it back. And that hasn't been working. Instead, the ball has got into the other half far too easily, mainly because a signing like Mason Mount hasn't worked because he hasn't been the ball winner that he was supposed to be. And it has left us overexposed. And what you have have is two centre-backs who shouldn't be playing for Manchester United and a goalkeeper who isn't who isn't as good as the shot stopper that we got rid of in the summer. So we do need to make some tactical changes. But if you're asking me if Man United are going to come flying out of the blocks and they're going to move up the table, no, I don't think that's going to be the case. I think being top of the form guy is a form guide, is a false indicator at the moment. There are significant problems at Manchester United. We were outplayed by Manchester City. I've seen teams give Man City a far better game than Manchester United did and we are their rivals that's a Manchester derby we are supposed to care about that game we're supposed to especially care about that game when we're playing tribute to Bobby Charlton so there isn't a heart in this team the way there should be we're not running hard enough we're not trying hard enough the team aren't gelling well enough together you have players that want to leave I think Casemiro wants to leave I know Rafa Varane wants to leave we have the whole Jaden Sancho situation so until there is harmony 
behind the scenes until the players get behind a manager again like they were last season there are going to be significant problems now perhaps getting this Ratcliffe deal done and getting this over the line and seeing some changes to the infrastructure is going to have a positive effect but I can't say that the future looks bright for Manchester United for the rest of this season because I don't suddenly think that we are moving in the right direction because we are top of a form table because we've had some very easy wins have things been blown out of proportion yes of course look at the league table we should be level with Arsenal. Things have been blown out of proportion when maybe it's not so much being blown out of proportion in terms of how negatively people talk about United because we deserve all of the negative attention. But perhaps it's been blown out of proportion in terms of how praised Arsenal are or how praised Tottenham are and how they're touted as title contenders or how perfect their managers are. Arteta's a great manager and Ange Postacoglu's a great manager and Ten Hag is suddenly a manager who should be sacked despite the fact that he resurrected this team from the absolute fucking dead last season. But Things are very, very quickly forgotten. People are very reactive. Social media is a horrible and toxic thing. And this is the situation at the moment. Certain people want Ten Hag sacked. I don't. I don't feel he's responsible for these issues. I liked his dealing of the Ronaldo situation. I liked his dealing of the Sancho situation. And I'm sure that he will end up dealing with this Casemiro and Varane situations correctly. But here's another thing you need to ask yourself. And it's not about Eric Ten Hag, it's about Manchester United on the whole. What is wrong with this club? Let's, let's, let's not talk about Jadon Sancho. Let's not talk about Anthony's situation either. Let's not talk about Mason Greenwood. Um, these are obviously situations where the responsibility lies with the players. But when you're looking at the ultra-professional in Cristiano Ronaldo, the ultra-professional in Varane, and the ultimate professional in Casemiro, you're looking at Champions League winners, La Liga winners, World Cup winners, players who played together at Real Madrid, yet they've all left or want to leave. Ronaldo's gone. We know how that panned out. Varane wants to leave, and Casemiro wants to leave as well. Why is that the situation? That, for me, is the biggest concern. What is going on at this club? What is wrong with the infrastructure of this club? Why do these players want to leave? They cannot be responsible for the reasons that they want to leave because the professionalism of Ronaldo, the professionalism of Varane and the professionalism of Casemiro 100% cannot be questioned. They cannot be responsible for why they want to leave. Now, are they the wrong side of 30 when it comes to their career? Yeah, all of them are. All of them are not at their peak. Manchester United signed players from Juventus and from Real Madrid in terms of Ronaldo, Varane and Casemiro who are not at their peak. Real Madrid do not sell players who can still do a job for Real Madrid. And that is the issue. But the fact that they want to go, the fact they don't want to be here is a major concern. And that worries me when it comes to Manchester United moving forward and especially for the rest of the season. So that's it for me in this edition of Better MUFC. There will be another episode posted in the next 24 hours recapping the Luton game and looking ahead to the trip to Goodison Park on Sunday. Until then, good luck with all of your bets as always. And thanks for listening.